Welcome to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Books. We're happy to have you join us here in the Behind the Books studios for this episode. Uh, Anna, we have a couple guests lined up that I know our listeners are going to be excited to hear. We have as our staff guest from the Acquisitions and Cataloging Department, Jill Long, and it was a pleasure talking to her, finding out about what she does at the library. And as our author guest, we have Pernilla Hughes, who writes romantic comedies, and she's going to talk a bit about her book, 10 Years, which will be coming out in paperback next month. But before we get into those interviews, Anna, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about one of our favorite times of year, summer reading, which is in full swing right now. And I don't know, you probably have better access to this than I do with the numbers and all the important things, but it seems to me like there's a lot of people doing summer reading this year. People have been coming in, they've been asking about it, they've been pointed in the right direction. You know, it's like people really seem to be into summer reading this year. Is that always the case or am I just imagining that it's a little bit more this year? I think you're going to find at all the branches, it is an all hands on deck experience. And I know like people think it's just the youth services librarians and they do do a lot. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they are, so they are in a flurry and as the program runs through August 5th, but I have been noticing that um, some teens have been coming in and picking up uh, logs as well as our adults have been coming in and picking up logs. I know that at um, the Hopewell branch alone, I've had to replenish my stack of logs at least three times already. And that's something that we've talked about in years past on our podcast, how it isn't just for kids. And uh, it's really good to see the adults that are getting into it. I think it's a fun thing to do over the summer, right? You see how much you read and keep track of it, go back to your days of yesteryear when you were a kid keeping your little log. So, and as we remind people, they can either do it with a log from the branch or they can do it online on mcl.org and sign up. And as we've also mentioned, it's not too late to sign up, even though the program started at the end of June and it's now the middle of July, there's still plenty of time to sign up and participate. I have to jump in here real quick because We do have paper logs that people can um, log their books through the paper option, but I have a couple of patrons who they take the paper log and they like writing down their books and then putting it into uh, the online uh, portion to count books. So I thought it was funny when you mentioned how kind of revisiting your days, like they think there is something about like writing down your books that you've been writing that they enjoy doing. Whichever way you decide to do it, we're just happy that people are participating. And as far as this episode, we're going to get to our first interview, our staff interview. We'll be right back to talk with Jill Long. segment of Behind the Books, where we take time to talk with a staff member. Today, we are talking with Jill Long, who works in the Acquisitions and Cataloging Department at the Lawrence Headquarters Branch. Jill, thank you so much for taking time today. You're welcome. Thank you. I like being here. So one of the things we want to start out with, especially because Acquisitions and Cataloging, that really is kind of in the bowels of the library. Like, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? My job is 
I'm the last person who gets the books before they go out to the libraries. The cataloger gets them first and she puts in the, the bibliography, she checks over them that we have all the information correct, and then they come to me where I go through all the data, I change it, uh, I'll put it in for adult fiction, adult nonfiction, juvenile fiction. I'm giving those descriptors for the libraries to know where to, to locate the books and for the catalog, when the patrons go and look it up, they know, oh, it's, it's in juvenile fiction, I can walk over there. I also put in uh, how much the book costs, if it was lost, uh, I print all the labels, and then every book in the library I touch that goes out. I'm putting the labels on everyone. I'm checking that there's no damage to them. And uh, that's that's the bulk of my job. <laughs> that is one of my favorite quotes from you. You were visiting us over here at the Hopewell branch and you and I were kind of chit-chatting. And I remember you kind of looking at the stacks and you look at me, you said, Anna, I've touched every one of these books. <laughs> every single one. My thumbprint is on it somewhere. <laughs> Well, and it's such a streamlined process that you guys have over there, right? I know you have a few different people over there and everybody has their own thing that they do. And it's it's like a well-oiled machine, right? Like you guys, the, a book comes through and everybody does their part. Yep. It's a whole process from who opens the books to uh, who gets them next, uh, who then puts them back in, in the book bins to go out to each library. It's a well-oiled machine and everybody contributes something down there to it. So we all work together really nicely and it's it's enjoyable. Do you have times, because I'm trying to think of our budget cycle and kind of how the collection development happens. Do you, does it ebb and flow or is it pretty steady all year long? It's pretty steady. I always have books. There's always carts and carts in front of my desk to the point where people walk in and wave to everybody else in the office and they don't see me because I'm just covered with books. Um, however, there are times when there's a lot of books around uh, the beginning of December, the end of November, the beginning, beginning of December. That's when uh, the purchasing gets done. You have to get all of your money in before then to purchase new books. So we get an influx of books. And at that point, we'll even send them out to the IT professionals. They'll take some of the books and start putting the labels on for us because it's it's overwhelming. Well, if you think about it, a typical library might get three or four copies of a really popular book, but then we have to multiply that by nine, right? So if a really popular book comes in, you're getting 30, 40 copies, right? And then multiply that by everything else. I mean, I can imagine it must be pretty crazy, like you said, at times. It is pretty crazy. And then each month there's purchase alerts that I get. And those are for the books that have a lot of holds on them. So we'll, we'll order more of them. So sometimes you get lucky day books where lucky day, you can't put a hold on those books. They have to have stickers on them and they have to have something called lucky day in the catalog. And then you just get extra copies. So right now I'm doing um, James Patterson books. I know we already have him, but there's even more coming in. And I, I can't get over it every day. I'm like, more James Patterson? But it's interesting. It, it all goes with what's popular and uh, how many holds are on them. 
And I love the idea of the purchase alerts. Um, there's this, I'm trying to think there was this book that I read when I was in library school. I think it was like called Give Them What They Want. And I love that we're getting that notice, you know, that this book is really popular and we want to be able to meet that demand, you know, at a, at a faster rate. And um, I just, I've had patrons just say, they're like, I was like, I was waiting for this for X number of months and now I've gotten it, you know, like half the time than they thought they were going to get it. So it really is a great response to what our patrons are requesting. Sometimes, and when that's a monthly uh, thing that comes out, some books might have four holds on it and I'll get a purchase alert for that much. Other books might have 130, you know, it's, it's amazing, but we get them and we get them in and try to get those out as fast as we can. Well, now you and I have actually crossed paths before Mercer County Library System. We, um, I was a volunteer, I was a parent volunteer at one of the elementary schools and you were working there. Um, so do you have, like, do you have a library background or what is your background? Now, my background is in education, elementary education. I started out as a public school teacher in New York before we moved to New Jersey and I had kids. And then I took time off to raise the kids. And when I went back to work, uh, I went back in the schools and I became a paraprofessional. And my favorite part was working in the library. I loved it. That If I could have been in the library all day, I would have. But then times changed. I ended up having another daughter uh, with three older ones and working in a school and full-time and having all four kids, it was a little stressful for me. So I thought I needed a part-time job. And luckily I got a job at the Lawrence Library as the library associate part-time and it was great. It was a great first step into the public library sector because I had only ever been in a school library, an elementary school library. It was it was great, I loved it. I loved working as the library associate. It was fun and it's something new every day and I got to interact with the public where I'm not interacting with the public now. Um, I'm working behind the scenes, but uh, yeah, so that's how I got in. And what was that transition like for, for you when you were spending a lot of time dealing with the public and now you're kind of, you know, just behind the scenes, as you say, working on getting the books ready for everybody. Was that a difficult transition or something that you jumped right into? Well, it might've been a difficult transition but I got the full-time position here downstairs right at the beginning of COVID. I started my transition from upstairs part-time to uh, ACAT was March of 2020. So it was, everybody was shut down. Everybody, we weren't working here. We were, you know, I think I came back in, in the end of May and it was just occasional, you know, two days a week. Uh, so uh, it might have been difficult. The transition might have been a little difficult, but because of the circumstances, everybody was in the same position. That is crazy. So really, I mean, you're transitioning during a very atypical time. So it really is hard to say, you know, what would it have been like during a normal situation? Because that really was a crazy time with us alternating and, and just everything that was going on. Well, one of the things I wanted to touch on was how you mentioned transitioning from education or a media center into a public library. And I had a very similar situation transitioning from one type of library to the public libraries. 
And it's funny how it is nerve wracking a little bit because it's like, I don't have this experience, but the fundamentals are the same, but it's still, it's just like, I don't have that. You know, you get so nervous about, I do, I'm not, will they think that I'll be able to transition over into this area? For me, the biggest thing, like going from the media center at the elementary school to here was seeing how much reference does being in a media center, you might get a couple of questions, but it's mostly from the kids saying, can you help me find this book? There's not any reference questions. And coming from New York, where I grew up, I never went to the library. If I did, it was just for help finding an article that I would need. Uh, there was there was no interaction with reference librarians. So when I got to Lawrence and I saw the scope of the reference librarians, they are on duty all day. The questions don't stop coming. They're answering everything. They're helping everything. And that to me, I was taken back. Like I couldn't even believe it. I was, I think I remembered one time going home and telling my husband, like someone just called about their refrigerator and how to fix it. And I, I thought, wow, I, I didn't realize people did that. I didn't realize that this was something that was offered to the public. So it's amazing. One thing I had wanted to ask you before we let you go too, was I, you had mentioned earlier how you, you know, you get your thumbprint on every book that comes through the system. Your, your holds list must be, you know, 700 long. Cause you must see every book come through and say, I have to read that one. I have to, you must have like a, a list on your desk. That's, you know, goes on I and do. on forever. I, I do. I have a page and pages and pages of the books I want to read <laughs> and then which ones I can get online <laughs> and which ones I can I can listen to. I have like little notes next to every book. <laughs> I love that. That's an occupational hazard, I think. But and I think you would encounter that at CERC, Bob. You've talked about that. But I would think, Jill, especially in your position, I can't even imagine. I, I can't I can't even keep up every book. I'm like, oh, and as an avid reader, nothing could be better. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been talking with Jill Long from our acquisitions cataloging department. Jill, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. And we are very grateful that you were part of that well-oiled machine in the AtCat department. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome back, everyone, to the next segment of Behind the Books. Thanks so much to Jill Long for taking the time to talk to us about her journey through the Mercer County Library System and what she does over at the Acquisitions and Cataloging Department. And then as we get into the portion where we talk about the programs that are coming up, we did talk earlier about the summer reading program, but we didn't mention another aspect of the summer reading program, which has been added this summer, and that's the system-wide scavenger hunt. Maybe you could give us a little update on that and let patrons know what they need to do to participate in that. Well, the summer reading program's theme is all together now. So the branches thought it would be fun to come all together and do a system-wide scavenger hunt. So at each of the branches, uh, there are passports of fun that are available to be picked up and you can visit each of the branches and get your passport stamped. Um, there is a scavenger hunt involved where you have to find an item 
in the library. So some people have statues, some people have quilts, some people have maybe a special trinket that they want that you have to find. Um, and then also what's kind of neat is that each of the branches are offering a brochure of local activities and attractions, which is pretty neat. I've actually had a few people come into the Hopewell branch just looking for that specific <laughs> brochure. So I think it's kind of a neat little thing. Um, and again, this is going on through the entire summer. So it actually goes through August 25th, where you can visit the branches and get your passport stamped and see the activities that are available throughout the system. Sounds like a good thing. To, and we've always kind of talked about on the podcast how you know, you shouldn't limit yourself to one branch. So this is a good way to get people to check out the other branches. Right. And Bob, we talk all the time about how the youth services uh, librarians are always putting together so many activities and such a diverse selection of activities for kids to choose from. And it's for all ages. I mean, they have toddlers, they have babies, they have tweens, teens, it really is such a great selection of creativity that they've put together for the summer reading program. So this is a great opportunity to get out and explore the different branches and what they have available. On Thursday, July 20th, we have Go Wild and Mercer. And this is a program that is going to talk about the 10,000 acres of land comprising the Mercer County park system. So it's going to talk about the habitat and resources for countless species of animals. Presented by the manager and naturalist from the Tulpa Hawken Nature Center from the Mercer County Parks Commission. And again, that's taking place on Thursday, July 20th at seven in the evening. And that is a virtual program where you will need to register to get the link. And you can go to mcl.org or use our app my MCLSNJ to register for that program and so much more that is happening at the libraries. And of course, we want to remind everybody that they want to check in at their branches, see what's going on. The librarians, youth librarians have a lot going on, a lot planned during this summer reading time. So stop in, grab a calendar and uh, check out what we have going on. As far as what we have going on next in our podcast, it's our author interview and we'll be right back to speak with Pernilla Hughes. Pernilla Hughes is a rom-com author. Her novels include Probably the Best Kiss in the World and Punch Drunk Love, which was formerly published as Sweatpants and Tiffany's, as well as her latest novel, Ten Years. Her writing has been printed in the Sunday Times and the Sun Lounger Summer Anthologies. Prior to authoring novels, she studied film and literature at university, and her first job was in advertising. She had a brief spell marketing natural history films, but then switched to working in children's television, which for a time meant living in actual Teletubby land, sharing a photocopier with Lala. Pranella, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I went back and forth about whether I wanted to include the Teletubby um, part of your life, but it spoke to me because I used to live in Las Vegas and I used to watch the Teletubbies because it was more of a reality for me than living in Las Vegas. <laughs> I've never been to Las Vegas, but someone once described it to me as living nylon. 
And so that kind of gave me a bit of a clue. And having lived, uh, I, so I had this summer of uh, living in actual Teletubby land and it looks exactly like it is on the screen. And so I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Totally see that. So I just thought it was a nice little, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to keep it in there, but let's get to why we're having you on the podcast <laughs> today. We, your book, your most recent book that just came out, or it came out last year, but it's coming out in paperback in August, is 10 years. Can you give us a little synopsis of the story, please? Sure. So 10 years is a funny, slow burn, uh, haters to lovers romance. Uh, it spans 10 years and it roams from London to Snowdonia, Brighton to Cannes, as Becca and Charlie, uh, they try to complete a bucket list for a loved one despite the fact that they hate each other. So I guess one of the things, because it is kind of that enemies turn lovers trope that we see so often, but there's a twist to it because Allie, who was the fiance of Charlie, is Becca's best friend. I have to make sure I get everybody's name Yes, that's right. right. There. <laughs> that's, that's the little triangle we've got here. So the, the key person is Allie, who we don't actually really see. I don't write her in flashback, but we kind of see her in a kind of, Ah, moments with the, where they consider her and they talk about her so we almost see her in a kind of reverse artwork kind of a way um but yes yeah, so charlie is her fiance and they were due to be married uh her best friend from school is becca who is a quite a spiky kind of character but they have always got on uh but becca and charlie have always grated against each other i'm always interested in how when you're putting together these books like just developing the characters and Keep it, not keeping them straight, because obviously you can keep them straight, but just what kind of goes into developing them and, and making them, you know, so that they fit nicely into the story that you're telling? So with Becca and Charlie, it was, um, we were looking at, uh, there's, there's a program which I think you've had in the States, which is called Afterlife with Ricky Gervais, where he is, um, he's been widowed. And he's really, he's on the brink of suicide, really. He's just so broken because he can't see how he can go on. So I, we wanted to have an element of that about Charlie. Um, you know, he he's lived with Ali. He's lost Ali now. He Every single thing in his flat, in his apartment, is has been touched by her. There's this weave of life, you know, that is Ali's there. And he cannot cope with that. And so he runs off to South America as one does, uh, and he just vanishes there for a year to find himself to be broken. Um, and then you have Becca, on the other hand, who she is a oh, an actress, but she is like not catching any breaks, and she has just one rubbish job after the other. And she doesn't have the money to just nip off to South America, much as she would love to do that. And so she's busy dealing with the grief of having lost her best friend on a daily basis. And so I wanted to have those kind of, juxtaposing kind of characters there but with Becca wanted to have her really she is quite spiky she is they are both very flawed characters by which I kind of mean real because everybody is flawed in in different ways and we wanted her to be kind of more slightly fleabag-esque you know just a little kind of not I'm, I'm, I'm skirting around the word unlikable but really it's uh, unamenable you know and really why should you know, women should just be allowed to be women and not necessarily have to be likable all the time. But Becca is her own woman. She has come from a rough start. Um, and hopefully through the books, the readers will see why Becca is as she is. You know, she has her really high defences and um, she 
she always has to fight her own corner because she feels that she's the only person there to do that, especially now that Ali's gone, because Ali was her real ally as, as such. Well, but I think that speaks to that. I think it's okay that she isn't likable because I think that's part of the journey that you take on, exactly. on the story. Yeah. So yes. I mean, it's not, you know, everyone, not everyone's bunnies and cotton candy all the time. Precisely that, precisely that. And, but that's so, you know, once in a while there's a review that says, oh, I hated her at the beginning, but she was all right by the end. I'm thinking, well, that's literally a character arc. <laughs> that's your intention from the start, right? Yes, yes. I just need people to hold on and keep with me. I mean, it felt like the, the book starts with a funeral and that felt for a rom-com a bit of a gamble. And so I just have to hope that, you know, people will just hold with me just for a little bit to uh you know there have been times when i've had to say to to friends it gets funnier it gets funnier (laughs) just so they know yeah well and you bring up a good point that it is marketed as a rom-com and i mean you are known as a rom-com author and it really does hit some deeper sadder moments Um, it does and so whereas when i'm talking about all my books i would normally say that my first two books are lighter and definitely more rom-com you know the uh, traditional rom-com and so really i often say that my that 10 years is uh a funny romance uh because rom-com i don't know it often comes across as more saccharine and and not that that's a um you know, I'm not doing anything down by that. My first two books are definitely rom-coms, but no, you're right. It does hit more. Um, the grief, the grief is definitely a, a theme that goes throughout. And it felt like a study in grief. You've got Charlie's grief for the woman. He's the future that he didn't have. And Becca, her, you know, her, her main cheerleader is gone from her life. And also Valerie, you know, her mother, um, you know, what's a mother? She's lost at something incredible in her life and so how does that impact her so Valerie's not a main character we'll still see how that would impact her a little bit as well well and looking through like reviews and everything Valerie is beloved like people loved that character (laughs) love Valerie she is a minx (laughs) she's a naughty minx I love her But even, I want to talk about your character development, because even though Allie, I mean, Allie has passed away in the beginning, but we, you get to know her as the story is going on. So, I mean, did you have like posters up or notes aside for character development for each of the different characters in it? Not just the two main ones, but also the periphery. Yeah, so I I had notes. Uh, I didn't have a, a big wall with post-its on it, but I did have notes. And and gradually, as things came, new ideas would come. Well, how would so and so feel about that? And Ali, I mean the the very beginning. The, that's you know where we find out she dies is hopefully a bit of a punch. And because I needed very very quickly to explain or have the reader understand how beloved she was. Uh, how big this love between her and Charlie was, but without her then impacting too much on the rest of the book. So it was kind of a little bit of a grenade there at the beginning in order to um, really make still the story about Charlie and Becca because it's their story. But Ali is this character. And maybe that's another layer of looking at the grief thing is that we naturally, if somebody dies, no one can say anything bad about them. We kind of, freeze frame them at that point and really Charlie he he can see that you know Becca uh, 
Ali had her flaws. Becca cannot see it at all. It's she is so loyal to this woman, and for Becca, loyalty is a real key thing because she's not had it as a as a child. So she cannot see the flaws. She refuses to see any flaws. And so gradually through the book, it's like just releasing Ali's uh, less than shininess, really. Uh, and again, for me, looking at grief, that's another thing that is part of grief. You know, gradually over time, you have to admit that this was actually still just a person, a human who comes with flaws. And, uh, you know, we can venerate them, but that's not necessarily real. One of the things I, I wanted to ask you, and you, you touched on it a little bit bef before, was how you mentioned how the book starts off and, the, and then some of the people, you say, you got to stick with it, right? And I know I've had a lot of people that I've recommended books to, and they'll be like, yeah, I started it, but I didn't like it. Like, as an author, do you feel like you have to capture people in the first, you know, 50 pages? Or, like, it sounds like to me, like you did a better job of kind of developing it, right? It's a whole story, and people have to kind of know that it's going to get better does that make sense that's why i i normally say in the pitch that it's a slow burn because you know the the, the clue is slightly in the title it's called 10 years i mean this and this romance stretches you know but still uh, people will say oh it was too slow and my stories they do have a bit of a longer setup because i want to put things in place uh to kind of world build maybe but uh, with some of the other books but just also other things happen and maybe that's just the nature of the couple whereas I think culturally actually from romance point of view the UK UK romances is usually a slower start than American romances uh they're often in not quite insta love but you know you know very quickly what's happening and who the two people are and how this is happening and that's maybe something I just accept as a writer and I also accept that everybody's has their own tastes I'm just everybody wants it you know straight away um I've seen reviews where people say people do not come together until 60 percent in the book and it gets very <laughs> statistical um and but I can only hope that they're having enough fun to stay along for the ride and that's my job as the writer of a comedic book is to make sure that they are being entertained enough to be interested of, of you know what's happening with this couple and how are they changing and how are they going to go from this point where they can barely be in the same room as each other to a point where you know happy ever after well I mean I was just gonna say it's 10 years just because they didn't they were trying to space out how much time they actually had to be together exactly that exactly that they don't want to see each other very often so no 10 years or you know once a year with, with these bucket list tasks is as much as they can manage and so um it's just uh, just to clarify the, the structure of the book is that they are um 2011 is when ali dies and then they um have get a letter asking them to go and see ali's mother and there ali's mother gives them a little fire a bottle with some of her ashes and, and says she would really like to have made it up snowden and could they do that for her and so they do and then when they're on snow they get this letter saying these are these other things i really wanted to do can you do those and that's where they're going oh god we don't want to be in, in each other's space and so the book then the structure of the book is that it goes a year at a time and those each year they um the point of view changes between him and her and you get one chapter which is kind of an update on their lives of the last year and the second chapter is then the task well, and that makes complete sense too, right? Because if you're developing a story and it's going over 10 years, it's going to have to be, you know, when you sit down to read it, you have to know that 
you're not going to stop after year three, right? You have to oh, be, you have to be in, in, invested in the whole book. Yes, and also I couldn't just I couldn't just write the whole year moving on through all these years. I've been such a yawn of a book. I just really so it was you know let's just relative pick up a point and then anything that happened in the last year that was relevant that gets mentioned. But otherwise, it's not relevant. You know, it's just, but it, I just needed to pepper enough through that shows why they've changed a bit, what's happened to them. And hopefully that, that's enough then for the readers to, to be along for the ride. Well, it really is a unique take on that kind of enemies turn lovers uh, theme. So I do want to encourage all of our listeners to check out 10 Years by Pernella Hughes, which the paperback is coming out in August of this year. Pranella, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. We wish you much luck in subsequent novels. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Welcome back, everyone, as we wrap up this episode of Behind the Books. Thanks so much to Pranella Hughes for taking the time to talk to us about her book 10 years it's been out for a while but we're anticipating the release of the paperback version which will come out next month and it's an intriguing story right i kind of i always kind of like those books where they take place over a decent period of time and i really enjoyed the concept that she had of revisiting it one year later with the bucket list from Allie's mother and it's a book that i think people are really going to enjoy reading you kind of took my word. I like because I was going to say I like the whole concept of the book, and I guess it it is a it is a rom com. But there's, I mean, it starts out with a funeral, <laughs> which is pretty sad, and then I think there are some deeper tones to it where that you do see how the two characters deal with grief differently. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a unique uh, story, and I love I like the whole aspect of the ten years and the story taking place over that time period. And I enjoyed how we got into talking to her a little bit, too, about how, you know, when people are reading books, sometimes they have to give a story a little bit of time to develop. You know, I think a lot of times you find people only give a book maybe, you know, 50 pages and then they give up on it. And there have been books that, you know, after 50 pages, you know, you should give up on it. But in this case, I think this is one that people are going to want to stick with and last through the whole 10 years. And I think that's good to say, because I think sometimes what someone tells me, just stay with it. You know, it, it, they, you know, it's almost like they know that it starts out slow. But if I have that, you know, someone, a friend or a colleague or someone who's like, just stay with it. That's kind of us telling you for the 10 years, just stick with it. It was great having a chance to talk to Jill Long about her transition from working as a library associate in reference at Lawrence and then making that transition into working for the acquisitions and cataloging department. I know what, what I, when we were talking to her, the thing that I really enjoyed is the fact that she touches every book, right? So there's not a single book that comes into this system that Jill Long doesn't know about, which is uh, pretty amazing if you think about the number of books we have in this system. I just think, well, I, I really enjoyed our conversation with Jill and I was pleased as pie that she um, had agreed to come on for an interview. I got to work with her at an elementary school where my son was going and she was actually on staff there in the library. So I had met her through that. And so I was very happy when she came over to Mercer County. But I just have to give a shout out to the whole 
um, acquisitions and cataloging department. Um, it was brought up how they're such a well-oiled machine and just the sheer numbers of books that go through there. It really, they are just an impressive, impressive uh, component to our library system. They do amazing work in that department and Jill's part of it. And so are the rest of the people out there. And uh, I'm sure they'll continue to do great work. Once again, we want to thank Pernilla Hughes, as well as Jill Long for taking time to talk with us today. Bob, I will see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review. For more information about the Mercer County Library System, please visit us on the web at mcl.org. We are produced by Laura Narasek, our thanks goes out to Kim Livingston for her technical expertise, as well as to Dana Benner for creating our cover art. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk.